Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am Matt with a very special guest today, Janae Spencer, uh, who I have gotten to know uh, through our shared colleague and uh, big friend of the show, uh, Dr. Hazan. So uh, Janae and I have a lot in common and how we think about heart rate variability populations we think about uh, bringing this to. And so um, I'm really happy to invite Janae to the show to talk about her work and journey uh, with heart rate variability in different aspects um, of her interest and occupation. So, Janae, welcome to the show, and I'd love for you just to introduce yourself to to our audience. Thanks so much, Matt. Um, Yeah, my name is Janae, and I'm a licensed therapist, so LMHC or LPC, depending on what state you're in. Um, And, man... I don't even say how long I've been licensed now, but (laughs) well over a decade I've been in the field. Um, And it's interesting because I've been doing biofeedback and things for a few years now, but when people ask me like, where did it start? I always kind of have to think back a bit. Um, But when I was in grad school, I remember like, you know, going through getting a master's in counseling, going through all the classes and so much was focused on like cognitive therapies, CBT, all of that. And uh, don't get me wrong. I love all of that. But I just, I even remember back then feeling like there was something more, like there was something healing wise, something that was missing within it. Um, And so after I graduated, my residency got into the field, it was only like a maybe like even five years into it, I started kind of coming back to that and being like, okay, what's, what's here. Right. Um, and I actually started with my own personal journey of just seeking out more holistic alternative ways of keeping myself healthy. And Mm -hmm. through that, I came across all kinds of things, the biofeedback, all of that. And it just kind of spiraled from there and now is fully incorporated into my practice. So what was that? What was that process like for that incorporation? Because you know, I, I think you know, I got trained under a very similar cognitive behavioral sort of model as well. I, I also thought, even though again, I, I'm a huge fan of CBT and the many variations of it. You know, something kind of more out there. And I also found myself playing around with a lot of tech you know, looking for potential answers uh, to those questions as well. So I would love to, from kind of that interest perspective, to integrate it into uh, what you do professionally and helping people heal and adding technology to a holistic approach. Because sometimes we think, I think holistic is, you know, yoga, and I know it's your interest of you, but hooking someone up to a bunch of wires might be a little counterintuitive to some folks. So I would love to hear more about uh, how that interest turned into really developing that expertise professionally. 
I remember I went to, so I'm a yoga teacher as well. And I've been doing that for several years. It was part of that process of recognizing that mind body connection yeah. and how to incorporate into therapy. But I remember specifically, I went to a yoga class that was led by, she was a yoga teacher, but also a psychologist. And she brought in someone who specialized in breath work. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because after, after that session specifically, it just like intrigued me because she was talking specifically about that connection, like with how we breathe, how we feel physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, and so I actually scheduled a session to go meet with her. And it turns out she was actually a psychiatrist that had been trained by Ina Hazan. <laughs> um, and I, I did not even know Ina at that time, who I now work with. Um, but she ended up like just showing me resonant frequency and all of that was so yeah. brand new to me at that time, but it intrigued me. And so I tested, I got my own resonant frequency and started practicing with it. Um, and I initially started doing like, um, getting training through heart math, which I think mm -hmm. a lot of people with biofeedback kind of start there. Yeah. Um, and that's how I started incorporating it with my clients because I saw the benefit for myself, how it was really regulating, um, like I said, at every level. And so I started using it just like here and there with clients and kind of seeing how it worked. Um, and yeah, then it went from there. I started, you know, looking into it more and then got board certified in biofeedback and all of that. So, so what have some, I, I'd love to, so like some of your insights al along the way, uh, you know, resonance frequency also being such a powerful uh, force in kind of my own health and wellness journey as well. What, what is like, as you start to integrate this into your, your therapeutic practice, yeah. what were some of the things that, that you saw integrating breath work uh, into your therapeutic interventions? I remember right in the beginning, one of the clients that we used it with was younger. They were like in middle school and presenting with some anxiety around tests and school, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, and so we would, I would have typically worked with like CBT, you know, things like yeah. that. But we started using some heart rate variability and heart math stuff and there's specific like games and things like that, that are especially yeah. good with kids when they kind of see, oh, when I'm breathing slowly and regulating, getting into resonant frequency, all of a sudden that shifts my body. Yeah. Um, and so they started using this technique in school and it radically changed how they felt around tests, how they were doing on tests, their anxiety around it. Um, and so that was kind of that client in particular was a light bulb moment for me of like, wow, this really, this really works. And it wasn't that we didn't incorporate all the other stuffs. And that's what right. I'm so passionate about is looking at things holistically. Let's look at it from every angle. And that body piece incorporating biofeedback was a huge piece that I saw shifted things. Yeah. And I wonder, like bringing in with your work with yoga as well, like how does that sort of inform that, that holistic approach? Because it sounds like you got more the you've got the talk therapy, more traditional background, bringing in the breathing, the biofeedback pieces. And then this this ancient, which 
breathwork is, but we weren't always connecting yeah. people to wires. You know, yeah. the, the ancient practice of 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 yoga into this, uh, just kind of how how does that fit in with your your overall thinking about uh, human health psychology? Yeah, I started doing yoga again. It always, a lot of it just starts personally for me, how I used it, but I started going to yoga pretty regularly. Um, and just found it was very centering for me. And the more I was researching and reading about the mind body connection, I was like, maybe I should just become a yoga teacher and see how to incorporate <laughs> this, what it would look like. And then, you know, getting trained in trauma sensitive yoga and, and yeah. all of that. Um, but what I've realized, I don't, there's a lot of good things about it, but in yoga, it incorporates some of like the main things that are really balancing to the nervous system. Mm -hmm. One of them being the breath, you know, even yeah. though we might not be practicing resonant frequency in a yoga class, we're intentionally slowing the breath that balances right. the nervous system. There's also that practice of mindfulness and being present and in the moments yeah. that is very calming as well. And then of course, um, releasing of the muscles, like yeah. when we're letting go in the muscles, it's sending a signal to the brain saying, Hey, we're okay. We're safe. We don't have to be in stress mode. Um, and I, so I've seen in my practice with yoga specifically, how people experience that balance of the nervous system in a slightly different way, but right. still kind of getting that benefit. So I think for a lot of our listeners, uh, the idea of maybe heart rate variability, biofeedback, app-based biofeedback, probably something that's familiar or at least of interest. They probably Googled a few things along the way to find us. Uh, here at the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. But I not all of our listeners have experienced what going into a biofeedback practitioner office would be like. So I wonder, like, and I, I'm sure it looks different depending on the diagnosis, but could you kind of walk me through, let's say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I may be struggling with a little anxiety, this, that, the other, maybe nothing, anything too severe, but I'm looking to improve my mental health and, you know, I reach out to you, what, 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 what should I expect uh, as I engage with a biofeedback uh, practitioner? What, what would people expect uh, when, when they start to work with you in that professional capacity? Yeah, that's a really good question. I tend to incorporate biofeedback more in the beginning because if my nervous system is better balanced and optimized, then any work we do on an emotional level and a cognitive level is just going to be more effective. Yeah. And I will often share that with people the first time we meet. Of course, it's up to them. But um, if we can kind of get that process going, we can figure out what biofeedback techniques would be most helpful for them. Then from there, we can kind of build on it. So in our practice... We, I mean, we do full stress profile. So not only yeah. looking at heart rate variability, but skin conductance, temperature, respiration, um, CO2 levels, EMG for muscle tension. And we spend a whole session just doing a stress profile that looks at how is your body responding to stress? How is it recovering and coming back down, really getting down to the nitty gritty of maybe what we can do to help optimize that. Love that. 
Love that. So we'll do a sessions like that. And then as they begin to feel different, see differences, bringing in the CBT, bringing in the processing and everything else. And where do you see, and this this may be just a too specific question to be generalized, but like once you are, are seeing the biometrics improve and, you know, getting, which, I, which is what I love about the work that we get to do is getting yeah. that quantitative data, what's going on underneath the skin, uh, helping to regulate that nervous system. You know, how do you see that as you've integrated biofeedback as such a central focus to what you do? How does that, how does that make the then CBT a maybe a different experience, different, like well, from a professional standpoint, then you're helping people maybe contemplate behavioral change or changes in thinking. What's the difference of having that sort of foundation of uh, biofeedback already there before uh, embarking on that part of the, the healing journey? Yeah. So I really feel that everything we experience in life impacts us at every level. So mm -hmm. how we think, how we view things, how we interpret things. I always have this imagery of like everyone on this planet has a specifically set of colored glasses they see <laughs> this world through by what they've experienced, right? Yeah. And that has an impact how we think, how we feel in our body. And so, so many times when people are presenting in my office, there's been a history of trauma or chronic anxiety, chronic stress, and all of these things have likely thrown off their nervous system functioning. And so even if they're not experiencing it right now, their body may be acting as if they're currently experiencing it. And we've learned that with trauma that, I mean, yeah. now we live more in hypervigilance, um, you know, all of that. And so it's really hard to, if my heart starts to beat a little bit faster to just say, oh, you're fine. When all of a sudden it starts beating and going crazy. Like I can't yeah. just cognitively tell myself that, but if I begin to slow down the heart rate, then I can think more clearly. I can respond more logically. And so that's why I just think it's such an important tool. If if I've had a history of things that have thrown off my nervous system, what can I do to balance that yeah. so that then I can process things a little bit differently? Yep. It is that whole, like where I'm just so fascinated, uh, you know, having, you know, graduating with my master's back in 2000, like where we've come just with the understanding of, you know, we were dealing with so much, uh, you know, uh, psychology was so theoretical and uh, much that we didn't have the neurobiology really. It was just coming to the surface. I think I heard the amygdala said once in my graduate work. Now I'm assuming it's probably, you know, I'm you, you're, it has to be. Yeah. You, yeah. You probably got a, a class in it first semester uh, of the, uh, you know, of that piece. And it's just like, you know, with those wired, the, the glasses you're talking about, like how much our biology is really working with our psychology. And, you know, yeah. I, I mean, we put these labels on this, but it's that holistic system. And, uh, you know, for me, like what I get so excited about, like with the work that you're doing is like trauma treatment can be so difficult. And, you know, I, I just love what the biofeedback people like yourselves are really looking at is 
how do we help you know resource people uh, building some resiliency and regulation? Uh, maybe before we dive into uh, the, the deeper issues, whether that's trauma, whether that's even substance use or other things along those lines, is we're really giving people that resource of regulation, um, which can happen in therapy as well. However, I just see it's like, I don't know, lack of that better analogy that I know our list is like, like it's taking your gym, the your parasympathetic ventral vagal to the gym on steroids. Like it's just yeah. like, oh, it just it just strengthens that in a way that then therapy can be, I don't know, I don't want to say it just like boosted or makes it quicker because a lot of times healing needs to play out its own way. But what a great supplement. Uh, and that doesn't even seem like a strong enough word sometimes to use. Yeah. The analogy I'll often use with when I'm talking about heart rate variability with clients is if I, if I go to the grocery store and I am starving, <laughs> I am likely to be irritated with the guy in front of me who's not moving his cart. I'm going to make impulse buys. I'm going to grab a candy bar and eat it along the way. Right. Um, versus if I go to the grocery store full and satisfied, I'm facing the same stressor either way. Yeah. But if my baseline heart rate variability, my nervous system is optimized better for me, I'm just going to be able to handle it differently. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think the power of biofeedback and heart rate variability and doing that work at a body level is. I love that's so much better than going to a gym on steroids. I, I like that. <laughs> I, I will credit you with that analogy because I've, I've been looking for a new one. I, I love that because it, it does it does allow you, like I said, that resource, that safety that we're really helping build uh, through the biofeedback pieces. Uh, it's just such a uh, a potentially life changing and just so. It just, again, that the grocery store analogy is perfect about still you've got those stressors to face in therapy. It may not change the outlying issues that brought you in, but just that, that you got a different, you're in a different state in which to address those, which I, I think for so many people who just have that, have had that dysregulation for so long, it can feel life-changing just in and of itself. Yeah, because it's like, when you don't have that awareness of what's going on at a body level, we there's a lot of self-blame that goes into that or why can't I just fix this? Why do I always respond this way? Like, and when there's that recognition of, oh, like yeah. my body is literally functioning like this and there's something I can do about it. It's one, so empowering. And then over time, it's just like, oh, okay, I can respond differently. It's really awesome. I love that. So as you, uh, you strike me as someone getting to know you, that's kind of always looking to like, what, what is, what, what can I do to build my expertise grow? Where, where do you see as you have integrated biofeedback into your practice, where do you see kind of yourself going? Where, where do you see now that you've been doing this for a while, working with our good friend, uh, Dr. Hazan, like where, where do you kind of see your path taking you uh, from here? As somebody, again, who strikes me as always looking at, okay, yeah. now, now what? Now, now what do I master? Yes, I am definitely that way. <laughs> um, I would say 
I mean, I, I love the clinical work. Um, mm -hmm. And one thing that always gets me is, okay, these people are presenting in my office, especially like with trauma, but a lot of different things. People reach out for biofeedback. I find a lot of times as a last resort, mm. like they've done different things and it hasn't worked. Or we see a lot of like through health psychology, like a lot of chronic pain, migraines, things like that. And they've gone to every doctor and they've been told nothing's wrong with them, you know, all of those things. And so what I often see is by the time I sit down with them, these patterns are so set in mm. and it takes some time to work through them. And it's just, it's really built up a passion in me to see more preventative systems being built. Like what can we do right at the beginning, whether it's, yeah. you know, bigger, larger scale, like disaster relief for things like that, or just in schools or wherever, what can we do to like one, provide these type of skills when they're young coming all the way up or two, when something does happen, bring it in right away. So it doesn't get stuck in the body. And so that's kind of where I want to go with it. And also, I mean, in a private practice therapy, individual therapy is not cheap. And so right. I want to, I want to make it more available, more widespread, more equitable in general. So yeah, those are the two areas that I'm kind of looking at right now. I, I love that. And again, our listeners know that that equitable piece of it um, is such a huge passion of mine to like, just make sure that everybody has access to yeah. this science. So we don't like said, don't develop another health inequity because we got enough of those we're dealing with already in our country. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's not let this one get out of control. The, the one thing that like that, that struck me as you were talking is, you know, in the, in the biofeedback space, one of the things that I've seen is it's very academic, I, I would say. And I don't mean that in any negative way. Um, I, I just, I think that's reflected a lot on uh, this podcast is we have brilliant thinkers from around the world uh, who I'm, I'm lucky enough to interview. And yet I, I, you know, as you're talking, I'm like, well, where, where, how do we ensure that no child graduates middle school without knowing their residence frequency breathing rate? Like, <laughs> like there is like something there, like, because once we identify it, I mean, then it's really, I'm a, I mean, you can get a pacer for free on, on the app store. So like, you know, it's just like, how do we get out of our own box in some ways and, and get this to the masses um, in, in a way that's affordable, but also that somebody does have that tool. So when they hit a hard time or they just are prepping for their first interview or, you know, yeah. shoot a free throw in a basketball game or ready to take a big test, uh, yeah. that, that they have this uh, skill set already built up. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, that that struck me when you were saying that is where where is the work on our side to, to really help it get there? Uh, so I love that you said that uh, piece of things. I think in some ways, I mean, we come on, I know when I was in school, there was no psychosocial educate anything like this. Um, so I think we're slowly getting there, incorporating yoga, maybe some breath, yeah. some mindfulness. Um, 
but I think there's so much more. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you see this. Vulnerability. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the thing. I think that the biofeedback folks could really, could, could really do, add to this. Cause I, I know like having my wife as a second grade teacher, but psychosocial education. I mean, we wrote a whole book on the topic, like so important. And I, I, schools are depending on your district and depending on words like what you're saying versus what but that the understanding that a dysregulated nervous system is not going to succeed in the classroom uh you know and all those different approaches but really helping yeah. people you know bring the science that i we're so passionate about into yeah. ways that can really benefit uh youth growing up uh from from a younger age i think there's a huge opportunity there and the the younger you get, the more comfortable they are with the technology too. So we're not talking yeah, about, uh, you know, folks that when they hit third or fourth grade, most of them are probably better than I am with the, the technology side of things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I, I completely agree. I, I think the biofeedback community in general, we can start going outward more yes. out of just clinical practice and, and things like that into schools, into shelters, into different areas that may not have that access. And I know optimal is really starting with that, which is awesome. Um, kind of creating programs and yeah, I think, yeah. I think just growing that is going to be huge. Maybe we can start the advocacy arm of AAPB. <laughs> I don't know. That would be amazing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> as their unofficial cheerleader and uh yeah i, I won't call us their podcast because they haven't I signed would... up for that but uh yeah i think uh we we, we should start the uh, advocacy committee uh right here so uh so i always like to ask my guests this of uh where do you see this where where do you see us progressing into the future uh, technology is only getting cheaper better, you know, in your own practice. I mean, we've talked about, you know, I, I know we share a passion of getting this into populations who may not have been the focus of biofeedback or had access to it financially before, you know, mm -hmm. where, as you look five, 10 years into the future, where, where do you see some of your passions being realized what are some of maybe your hopes and aspirations uh, for the biofeedback field? Hmm, that's a good question. I would really like to see it just so much more normalized. Like it is just like an obvious technique that you would use. Like it yeah. right now, it's more of a luxury or something that you have to really seek out and find. Um, but like you said, with technology and, and things being so much more readily available, I think right now it's more us doing the work of getting it out there and yeah. of educating and of showing. I mean, I know like just teaching yoga classes, I talk a lot about the regulation and the breath and all of that. And and it always amazes me because I'm in it every day, you know, yeah. it's my life, but it always amazes me by how much people don't know. Right. And I mean, it's there. Like <laughs> We just yeah. need to get it out there. And so, yeah, I would just love it to, I don't know another word to say, but just it be normalized in the schools, in the whatever it is. I think about like, 
like more of the nonprofits, like international that do more like public health international work and like just having a whole arm that addresses yeah. at a body level what is happening with trauma what can we do right away how can we train paraprofessionals to be able to use these skills and train people right. to use them you know like it's simple when it comes down to it it's simple work it's simple yes. to train um so yeah that's kind of where i see it whole yeah and I, I think, you know, you see everything, you know, as we record this, the world is spinning into uh -huh. chaos if it wasn't already spinning into chaos. Uh, but it's, you know, I feel like we have su such, I don't know if I, I could, we, we have such knowledge that can help folks who are in these I just see people sitting at, you know, uh, as we record this, and I know it'll be a few, hopefully the world is at peace by the time this is published, but what, what's going on in Israel, uh, you know, at the Egyptian border with people just sitting there, like, it's like, could we, could we help? Could we, could we give them a resource? Not that everybody wants to sit and breathe at the resonance frequency breathing rate, but if they if they did, or, you know, if they have children that they want help, you know, I think to have every a, a thousand therapists come in, probably not practical right now, even though definitely needed, but could we get some resources in there? And I just think biofeedback as the, the information about the nervous system grows, it, it can be really be a part of, you know, that mental health first aid yeah, exactly. uh, that, that's become so prevalent in, you know, social services, social work, psychology. Um, I just believe this is like, you know, you give somebody first aid, you leave them with a bandage. You don't, you know, is this something we could leave folks with uh, to just give them a resource through these heartbreaking tra traumatic times uh, with yeah. that? Again, it's almost a first aid until we can get the stability and hopefully get, you know, connected to, to, to more help that they might need. But it just seems like, boy, we've got the skills. We're getting the price points to where they're really affordable um, for people too. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So if um, people want to find out, we'll, we'll put obviously information in, in the show notes, but if people want to find out more about uh, your work, where may they, where may they find you? I'm currently practicing. I'm in Boston. So working at Boston Health Psychology right downtown. So we, um, yeah, we see clients there. I do also do, like I volunteer with some of the yoga in the community um, and teach yoga as well in a studio in here in Boston. So yeah, there's a few different ways, but uh, we also do telehealth as well. So if that's, you know, you're not in the Boston area, but are interested in what we do, definitely reach out. There you go. So th thank you so much. This has been a great uh, interview. I've, I've It's been a, such a pleasure to get to know you and your work uh, more and more. I know we, we've got a few things in the work. So uh, well, once we find uh, our, uh, our project to work on together, we'll have to have you back and, uh, uh, talk about uh, doing and realizing some of this impact that we want to have uh, on the world. So uh, thank you so much. And I, I look forward to having you back in the future. Thanks so much, Matt.